Lord, uh, we're so grateful to uh, be here with uh, one another this morning. We do ask that you watch over our time together, um, and that we would just have hearts that are soft towards your word, that as we look at the clothing that Christians must put on, that our hearts would truly be changed by it, that we would recognize that you call us to live in accordance with our new identity in Christ. So we are grateful to be able to dig into your word. We're grateful for the very fact that you've given us your word so that we might come to know you and know how we might honor you with our lives. So we just ask that you watch over our time together. And pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So I, I got hired onto the fire department in 2006, like right after 9-11 when interest in becoming a firefighter was arguably like at an all-time high. In the city of Phoenix, for instance, there were 9,800 applications that were submitted to acquire only about 100 to 150 available spots in the fire department for that year. So this gave me just a little bit over a 1.5% chance of getting into the fire department at that time. So needless to say, I was extremely intimidated by the process. I was only 19 years old at the time. Now I remember the testing process to get into the fire department was extremely grueling. It lasted about six months. It included a written exam. It included a physical ability test. And then it included two oral interviews to get in. And the main weight of the testing process was in the two oral interviews. And I remember spending countless hours trying to pre prepare for these interviews. I'd talk to myself in the car. I would talk to myself in the mirror. I would record myself. I would talk to my friends and family about my interviews. I, I even remember taking a communications course at the community college just so that I could practice my interviews in front of a bunch of people who didn't know anything <coughs> about the fire department or care anything about the fire department just so I had the opportunity to work on my interviews. Now, while the interview process was obviously extremely intense, it was actually pretty basic as well. Typical questions would include like, well, why do you want to be a firefighter? What have you done to prepare to become a firefighter? Or how do you plan to be successful in a 12-week academy? But one of the most important questions that I was asked had to do with my character qualities. See, the guys on my interview board wanted to know if they could spend a third of their lives living with me. Remember, firefighters work for 24 hours on a lot of them, and then they have 48 hours off. So a third of my life is spent living with the guys at the firehouse. So they wanted to know what qualities I had to make sure that they could get along with me, that I would fit in on the fire department. So in order to find that out, they would ask this question. They'd ask, what qualities do you possess that will enable you to, to be successful over a 20 to 30 year career in the fire service? So needless to say, with 9,800 applicants coming from a wide range of backgrounds, the answers to that question varied widely. Some would say that it was all about hard work. That's how you had a successful career in the fire service. Others would say that determination is the key. And still others would say that if you were going to be a successful firefighter, you needed to be a team player. But as I was studying the text that we're going to be working through this morning, this question dawned on me. I was thinking, well, what if we were asked this question as Christians? 
if we were to hypothetically stand before a heavenly interview board that asked us what qualities must believers possess to live godly lives in their homes, in their schools, in their workplaces, and in the church that would enable us to, to give honor to the Lord with our lives? And I wonder, would, would we give the right answer to that question? Would we give a biblical answer to that question? Or would we fail in our interview? So today we're going to find the answer to this important question. So I would ask you guys, please open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. Where we're going to discover the qualities that all Christians must possess to honor the Lord with their lives. Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. the passage. Here Paul says, So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. I summarize the passage in this way. In Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14, Paul describes six characteristics for every Christian to clothe themselves with. Six characteristics for every Christian to clothe themselves with. Now, the first thing that I want you guys to notice here is that these articles of clothing, these qualities, are not optional. This is the mandatory uniform for all believers. Here, Paul commands us to put these qualities on. But the great thing about this uniform is, guess what? It always fits perfectly. It never wears out. It always looks nice. And it's appropriate for every occasion. And in addition to that, this uniform, you could call it, is kind of a hand-me-down from Jesus himself. He's the one who perfectly wore it before us, and he's the one who perfectly exemplifies how to wear this uniform throughout the pages of Scripture. So we must put these clothes on if we're to bring glory to God in our daily lives and in our relationships with one another, with our friends, with our family, in our workplaces. We must put these things on the commandment. But I also want you guys to notice before we look at the specific characteristics which we must put on is the identity of the people who are to put on these qualities. Paul says that these people are what? They're chosen of God, they're holy, and they're beloved. So what do you think Paul's doing here? Why is he reminding the Colossians of their identity before he's commanding them to put these qualities on. Why do you think he wants to do that? What do you guys think? No clue? Why would he want to remind them of their identity before he commands them to do something. Yeah. 
and that they know that they can and that they should, right? So here, Paul's reminding the Colossians of who they are as believers. He's reminding them of their identity in Christ. They're people who have been saved by God's grace. They were chosen by him. They're people who were holy. That means that they were set apart as his special people. And these people were recipients of God's abounding love. So this was their identity. And this is actually the identity of any of us who are believers here today. If you've turned away from your sins, if you've repented of your sins, and you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, these things are true of you as well. This is who you are. You are chosen of God, you are holy, and you are beloved. So Paul wants to remind the believers of their identity in here because he wants them to become in experience what they are declared to be in fact. You say, what in the world did you just say here? In other words, Paul wants our attitudes and actions to match our identity. He wants, to, he wants us to act like who we are. If we are chosen, we are holy, and we are beloved, these things are facts about us, these are our identity, now we need to act like those things are true about us. So in essence, Paul's saying, he's calling us to dress in clothes that match your identity. So I want you guys to imagine for a second like a sports trade, okay? You've got the Phoenix Suns who play here in Phoenix, obviously. You've got the LA Lakers who are one of our rivals. Imagine a Phoenix Suns player gets traded to the LA Lakers, okay? And in that first game, that Phoenix Suns former player who's now identified as a Laker, imagine he comes out for his first game playing with the Lakers, but he's still wearing his Phoenix Suns uniform. Would that make any sense at all? No, it wouldn't make any sense, right? People would know that something is off here, something's wrong. This guy would stick out like a sore thumb. If he's on a new team, he needs to wear the right uniform. He can't keep playing in his old uniform. He has to get rid of that old uniform, and he needs to put on the uniform of his new team and then identify with that new team. The same is true of us as believers. If we're chosen by God, if we're holy, if we're recipients of God's love, we need to match our actions and our attitudes to our new team. We are now in Christ. We need to take off the old sinful attitudes and actions that characterized us before salvation. Okay, Paul describes that earlier in chapter 3. And then we need to put on the attitudes and actions that match who we are now. We have to put on the right uniform. So that begs the question then, what are the characteristics that every Christian must clothe themselves with? What are these attitudes and actions that match our identity? What are these so-called hand-me-downs that Jesus has given us to wear? Well, the first one is this. We must put on a heart of compassion. We must put on a heart of compassion. So what's Paul telling us to do here? What, what does he mean, heart of compassion? Well, Paul's saying that we must put on deep, heartfelt care for other people. This is compassion that looks at the pain, the weakness, the distress of the people around you, and then it expresses itself in genuine mercy, pity, and concern for those people. A 
amazingly, like I said, this is a handing down from Jesus himself. This, this is exactly the way that God looks at us. Listen to Psalm 103, 13 and 14. It says, As the Father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are but dust. So God clearly has compassion on us because he knows that we're frail and that we're weak. And then throughout the Gospels, Jesus is moved with compassion uh, concerning a number of different circumstances. In Matthew 9, 36, Jesus shows compassion towards people who lack faithful spiritual leadership. So he looks at those people, has compassion on them, and sees that they're like sheep without a shepherd. They don't know which way to go spiritually. In Matthew 14, 14, Jesus shows compassion for those who are sick and suffer diseases. In Matthew 15, 32, he shows compassion for people that are hungry and in need of food and refreshment. In Luke chapter 7, Jesus shows compassion to a woman who was widowed and whose son had died. And then finally in John 11, Christ's compassion was so strong that he actually wept when his friend Lazarus had died. So clearly, Scripture shows that God is compassionate and he genuinely cares for people in need. But the question for all of us is, do we have that same type of compassion for others? Do we actually care for other people? Guys, I think this is true. I think often we can be so focused on ourselves and on our own situation that we forget to look up and actually care for the problems and the weaknesses and the frailty and the distresses that other people are experiencing. We might think it's more important to send that quick text message than to actually listen to our friend who's sharing a, a struggle or a difficult circumstance and is requesting prayer for that circumstance. We might think that it's more important to gain popularity at school than to actually take the time to just be a friend to someone that's obviously lonely. Students, we, we can't act like that. As recipients of God's compassion, we have to put on compassion as well. We should be known as people who genuinely care for the suffering and hurting that people are experiencing all around us, even within this room. The second quality that believers must clothe themselves with is kindness. So not only must we put on a heart of compassion, we must put on kindness as well. One commentator called kindness, love in work clothes. I love that, love in work clothes. And he said this because kindness that's expressed here is not simply just like noticing the problems and, and, then, and then saying nice things to people about those things. It's, a, it's actually doing good for the benefit of another. Now, unfortunately, I think we now live in a culture, and you guys are probably experiencing this, maybe you're engaging in it yourself, where people think that they're expressing kindness by kind of just like spreading awareness about different things. So often people will see some difficulty that someone's going through that people are hurting and, and then they won't do anything about it. They'll just post about it on Facebook and then they'll say that they're being kind. Or they'll see someone that's 
in need and then they'll, they'll talk about it on TikTok or they'll post a Snapchat about it. But then they won't actually do anything to meet the need. Students, you have to understand, that's not kindness. Why? Because kindness not only speaks, it takes action. Kindness here is a friendly and helpful disposition to meet needs through good deeds. A friendly and helpful disposition to meet needs through good deeds. So it's the kind person that's always ready and willing to speak in ways that build up and benefits others. And then they look for ways to help others through positive action. They look, that need, look for needs that need to be met, and then they work to meet those needs. Again, this is an article of clothing that's a hand-me-down from God himself. He's the one that perfectly displays kindness, and he directs that kindness amazingly towards sinful people just like you and me. Listen to what Titus chapter 3, verses 3 and 4 says. It says, uh, For we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another, completely undeserving of God's kindness. But when the kindness of God, our Savior, and his love for mankind appeared, he said really nice things about it, and then just left us in despair. Do you think that's what the, the text says? No, listen to what it says. When the kindness of God, our Savior, and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not on the basis of deeds that we had done in righteousness, but according to his mercy. So here, we see that God, looking at sinful humanity and our great need for salvation, acted in kindness, and he saved us according to his mercy. God's kindness led him to act on our behalf in saving us. That's not all. In Ephesians 2, 7, God said to have saved us so that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Guess what that means? For all eternity, believers are going to be the grand display. They are going to be the trophy case of God's kindness towards sinful humanity. And then in Romans chapter 2, verse 4, we find that it's the kindness of God that leads people to repentance. So in what ways do you show kindness now? Would you say that you're a friendly and helpful person who looks to meet needs through good deeds? What about as you deal with your siblings? Do you actually care for them and look to do good to them and help them in areas that they might struggle? What about with your parents? Do you actually take initiative around the house to, to serve them and find ways to help them around the house that might just lighten their load a little bit to do good to them? With your friends and neighbors and the people at church, do you take time not only to say nice things to them, but to actually do good things for them as well? Guys, it's simple things like a phone call to someone who's lonely, writing a note to someone who needs encouragement. It's having someone over for dinner. It's simply just carving out time in your busy schedule just to spend quality time with others. These are all ways that you can 
put on kindness even now as undeserving recipients of God's kindness we have to show kindness to others but not only must Christians clothe themselves with compassion and kindness but God calls Christians to clothe themselves with humility as well humility Yeah, you guys are already learning a lot about this because this is our topic of an entire semester in D groups. And we're learning this quality because what does the scripture say? God opposes the and gives grace to the humble, right? So like the rest of these qualities, humility is vitally important if we are to maintain healthy relationships both in the church and in our daily lives. Why? Well, number one, it's because pride is totally destructive to our lives. It expresses itself in selfishness and self-exaltation, and it looks to take the place of God as the one deserving of all the glory and praise and light. And pride will always be destructive to you personally, to the church, and to your relationships with your friends, your family members, your bosses, and your co-workers. We have to work towards cultivating humility. So what is humility? I define it like this. Humility is assuming a lowly position for the sake of serving someone else. It's recognizing our own weaknesses and limitations, especially in light of God's greatness and God's holiness. So the person who's genuinely humble is not selfishly ambitious, they don't seek to exalt themselves above others, and they never think that they're better than anyone else. Humble people are unselfish, and they're eagerly looking for ways to prefer other people before themselves. Once again, Jesus shows us exactly what it means to be humble. Philippians chapter 2, verse 8, Paul puts it like this. Being found in appearance as a man, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So amazingly, Jesus, though he was fully God, humbled himself by becoming a man and dying on the cross so that people just like you and me might be saved through faith in him. This is the chief expression of humility in all of scripture. And it's the example that all of us must look to if we are going to clothe ourselves with humility as well. But the problem is, this doesn't come natural to us at all, does it? We're prideful people. In his book, Respectable Sins, Gary Bridges identifies several common areas that people display pride in their lives. And I want you guys to ask yourself, do any of these things apply to you? The first is this, we can display pride through moral self-righteousness. Moral self-righteousness. Now this is when we feel superior to people who battle different sins than our own. So in essence, we look at another person who's battling a different sin than ours. We don't battle that sin, so we minimize all of our own sin, and then we look at them as if their sin is huge, as if it's magnificent in comparison to our own. And then we think that we're better than them because we don't battle the same sins as them. But we also, you know, not only do we show pride through self-righteousness, but 
we can show pride in our achievements as well. So this type of pride says that everything good that we have, every success that we experience in life comes from not God, but our own ability and our own work ethic. So this type of person takes all the credit for their successes in life, and then they never recognize that God's the one who deserves all the glory for any of their abilities or successful experiences that they have in life. God doesn't deserve the credit. I do. Finally, we can show pride through an independent spirit. And this is the one that I think, especially at your guys' age, you need to battle. This pride says, I can figure it out on my own. I don't need to listen to authority. And I don't need to really learn anything from anybody. This type of person's super defensive if anybody tries to correct them. They're appalled if anyone tries to approach them about their sin. They struggle to obey their parents. And they always think that their way is best. Often this type of person will struggle in relationships because they believe that they can't learn anything from anyone else. And that their way is always the right way. Sadly, these manifestations of pride are all too common for even us as believers. Even though we have the pinnacle example of humility right in front of us, that's who we have faith in, it's Jesus. Like I said earlier, these forms of pride are totally destructive to our lives, and we cannot leave them unchecked, undestroyed um, in our lives. We have to work towards cultivating humility. We have to destroy pride. So here are several questions to help you diagnose if you're a humble person. Number one, and most importantly, do you trust the Bible to teach you what you need to know about salvation and how to please God with your life? Or do you think you can figure it all out on your own? Do you trust what God has given you in his word to tell you how it is that you can be saved as a simple human being, or do you think that you can earn your own way to salvation? You have to trust what God's word says. You have to trust in Jesus Christ. Number one, do you obey, or number two, do you obey your parents and those in authority over you? Or are you defiant? Number three, do you prefer others over yourself or do you always prefer to get your own way? What about this? Do you receive criticism and correction with thankfulness? Or do you get defensive easily? Would you say that you serve others with joy? Or do you expect to be served? And lastly, are you quick to both ask for and grant forgiveness? Can you just simply admit to someone when you're wrong? Or is that difficult for you? Take this seriously, students. Remember, God opposes the proud and he gives grace the humble. So we've seen so far that Christians must clothe themselves with compassion, kindness, and humility. The fourth characteristic, the characteristic that all Christians must clothe themselves with is gentleness. Gentleness. Now this is a word that's somewhat difficult to convey directly into English. It's also translated as meekness in several places throughout the New Testament, and once again it's used as a description of Jesus throughout the Gospels. 
So what exactly is gentleness? What is meekness? Well, often when people think of gentleness or meekness, they think that it describes like a weak or passive person. But I want to tell you that this is not accurate to the biblical meaning. Gentleness and meekness is not, it's not weakness or passivity. Rather, it's been described by many commentators as power under control or controlled courtesy. It's humble considerateness towards people, even in the face of opposition. So the meek person is someone who does not back down from godly confrontation, but they handle confrontation in a courteous and controlled manner. This person is not afraid to correct people who are erring and to confront people who are caught in sin, but they never handle these types of situations with arrogance or harshness, and they never act disrespectfully or rudely towards others, even if those people oppose them and sin against them. Gentle people are always fair and balanced in their treatment of others because they don't think too highly of themselves and they don't have an exaggerated view of their own self-importance. They don't insist upon their own rights, but they entrust themselves to God and they just seek to be faithful to Him through just the simple, courteous treatment of others. Sadly, in today's culture, the characteristic of gentleness is quickly fading. I would put this characteristic on like the endangered quality list. It's just not present in our society today. People are vindictive, they're harsh, they're defiant, they're cruel towards one another. They're always fighting, they're easily offended by everything that's happening around them. They think so highly of themselves that they believe that they deserve special status in society and guess what they'll do? They'll just stomp on anyone that gets in the way of what they want. Here's what I would encourage you to do. Do not let yourself get influenced by this culture of self-entitlement and self-exaltation. Put on gentleness. Stand up for biblical truth. That's good. But do so in a way that's self-controlled and courteous. Be considerate to others, even if they've wronged you. And in this way, you'll be looking more like Jesus than the rest of the world around you. And I want you to remember this. A lot of people think, again, that it's weakness or uh, passivity that gentleness is defined as. But that's not true at all. It takes great strength to be a gentle person. The fifth characteristic that Christians must clothe themselves with is patience. Patience. Patience is long-suffering endurance in the face of offense. Long-suffering endurance in the face of offense. So the patient person is someone who's not irritated or impatient towards the flaws, shortcomings, and offenses of others. Patient people never take revenge on those who sin against them, and they don't lose heart in the middle of a trial, in the middle of a difficult circumstance. Their hope is ultimately in God, and they trust Him through difficult circumstances, and they trust Him with difficult people. So as you guys think about life in your families, in your schools, at church, why do you think it's important to put on patience? As you live life in your schools, in your families, in the church, why is it so important to put on patience? Go ahead. 
People will do things that we don't like. People will sin against us, right? It's important to put on patience because we are sinners living in a sinful world. And since this is the case, guess what? We should expect to have to keep these clothes on all the time. This is your daily attire. All these things are your daily clothing. We can't be surprised and easily angered when people sin against us or if they offend us. We can't look to retaliate or take revenge. Instead, we have to put on patience. As sinful people who've been shown an abundance of patience by a holy and perfect God, we must display patience towards others. So how do these attitudes and actions express themselves in action? As we put these qualities on, how will they impact the way that we treat one another? Well, look at verse 13. There, Paul provides two actions that should flow naturally from a life clothed in these six attributes. He says that as we put these attitudes on, we must express them by bearing one another and forgiving one another. We'll get to the sixth quality here in a minute. First, he says that these attitudes, that these qualities we must put on should be shown through bearing with one another. So that word forbearing has to do with tolerating or putting up with others. It describes someone who patiently endures difficult people in difficult circumstances. So we bear with one another, right? Because we're different from one another. You could probably just look at the people to your left and to your right and name just a few differences in personality even about those people. And even in the church, that's one of the joys about being in the church is we have a unified faith, right? Like me and a few of the other guys are going to go to this conference out in Florida. It's called Courageous Churchmen. We're going to have a unity with those men that are out there because we have a unified faith in Christ. But all of us are going to be totally different, coming from different parts of the country. Some people from around the world that are all going to be there to learn about Christ. But we're all going to be unique in our own way. So the church is, is made up of people who are very different from one another. They have a unified faith, but they have different personalities, different senses of humor, different eating habits, different jobs, and any other difference that you can think of. But even though we have a unified faith, because of these differences, life in the church can be a bit challenging at times. This is why forbearance is so important. So as we put on compassion, kindness, humility, and gentleness, and patience, the natural outflow of these qualities will be the loving tolerance for one another. We will gladly put up with one another, even through our differences. So students, do you find that you're a forbearing person? Are you happy to tolerate the differences of others without becoming irritated with people, without becoming easily offended? If our relationships are going to hold strong in our families, with our friends, and in the church, we must joyfully put up with one another. Not only will these new clothes enable us to bear with one another, but they'll also manifest themselves through forgiveness towards each other as well. Again, verse 13 says, Paul says that we must put on the proper clothes, and then he says, bearing with one another and forgiving each other 
whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. So Paul's pointing out here that the natural outflow of forgiven people should be the gracious and loving forgiveness of others. And who's the example and standard of forgiveness throughout the Bible? Jesus, right? It's the Lord. If we as forgiven people, we've been forgiven an abundance, we should be forgiving ourselves. So we have to ask ourselves, what does the Lord's forgiveness look like? Well, throughout the Bible, God's forgiveness is shown to be abundant, which means he forgives people an unpayable debt. God's forgiveness is undeserved. He forgives people who truly deserve to be uh, sent to hell and spend eternity apart from him, but he shows his loving forgiveness towards those people who are undeserving of this forgiveness. And his forgiveness is complete. That means that all of our sins are forgiven, and he will never hold uh, them against us for all eternity. So what does that mean for me and you? Well, just as God's forgiveness is abundant, it's undeserved, and it's complete, so we must forgive undeserving people abundantly and completely. We cannot hold people's sins against them if we've been forgiven by God. We cannot try to make them pay for what they've done to us. We cannot continuously dwell on the sins of others and bring them up whenever we think it's appropriate. Instead, we have to forgive like God forgives. So when we forgive someone, this is what we shouldn't do. We should not continue to dwell on the incident. We should not bring up the incident and use it against the person who sinned against us. We should not talk to other people about the incident. And we should never try to make the person pay for the sin that they committed against us. That's not how God has treated us. That's not how we should treat one another when we forgive others. One commentator said this about unforgiveness. He said, unforgiveness is the poison we drink, hoping that the person who sinned against us will die. You understand that? Unforgiveness is the poison we drink, hoping that the person that sinned against us will die. We're only harming ourselves to not forgive others. You're not doing anything to harm the person who sinned against you. As people who have been forgiven by the Lord, we must forgive others. To not forgive is to ultimately punish yourself. Finally, Paul moves back to the final characteristic that Christians must clothe themselves with, and it's possibly the most important of them all. All Christians must put on love. Look at verse 14. Paul says, Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. We know that love is the defining characteristic of Christianity. In Matthew 22, verses 36 through 40, Jesus said that all the commandments are summarized by the command to love who? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself, right? That's how all the commandments are summarized, to love God and to love our neighbor. Here, Paul's saying that love binds all these attributes listed in verse 12 into a perfect unity. 
It's like the glue that holds all the attributes together. It's love for people that helps us to be tender-hearted towards them. It's love that enables us to be kind. It's love that drives us to be humble and to consider others as more important than ourselves. It's love that enables us to be gentle and patient with people. Love is the supreme characteristic that should mark every single believer. Students, maybe you're here today and you're thinking, man, I really don't dress like a Christian at all. I really don't care much about others. I'm impatient. I'm easily angered. I don't really try to meet people's needs through good deeds. I don't really look like a Christian at all. So how do I go about putting these clothes on? We need to recognize that it all starts with the gospel. So as you recognize that you're not living in this way, that you don't, you haven't put on these clothes, turn away from that lifestyle, guys. Turn to God for forgiveness through faith in Christ. There's encouragement there. God will forgive you, and then he'll be the one that will help you put these clothes on through faith in Jesus. This reminds me of when my wife and I used to have to dress our toddlers when they were little. You know, our toddlers would participate in putting clothes on, but the entire time they needed our help to be able to do so. We would stand over them, we'd say, straighten your head out. They'd straighten their heads out, you'd pop their head through the, the head hole. And then you'd say, lift your right arm up. They'd lift their right arm up, lift your left arm up. They'd lift their left arm up. And sure enough, together, we would get their clothes on. My toddler couldn't put clothes on on his own. They needed our help to be able to do it. In the same way, we participate. This is a command. We participate in putting these clothes on. But it's God who enables us to do so. Faith is imperative for the ability to put the right clothing on. So turn to God for the help that you need to clothe yourself as a Christian. Let's pray. And Lord, all we can do is be grateful for a text like this. And apart from your word, we, we really wouldn't know what qualities that you desire us to have and how, how it is that you want us to get along with people in this world, how it is that you want us to honor you in our relationships in this world. So we're so thankful that you would show us what qualities that you desire us to have in our lives. And as we recognize probably throughout um, reading this together, we are, we are not perfect at this. We need your help every single day, every single moment to put these clothes on. So I would just ask that you would help us to be able to clothe ourselves as Christians. Help us to put these qualities on. Help us to honor you with our lives. And I pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.